I'd invite you to find Psalm 128 as I have prepared a message today on the family and specifically on a blessed family. We're going to consider the entirety of this short psalm. So if you'll find your way there, we'll read it here in just a few moments. It's no secret to you that families in our culture are in trouble. Uh, Only half of America's children are being raised by their biological parents, according to the Institute for Family Studies. They wrote in their report on their research, is growing up with married birth parents advantageous for a young person's school success and later life chances? The conclusion was there is abundant evidence that it is. As shown in numerous analytic studies, students with stably married parents are more likely to do well in school, less likely to cut classes, repeat grades, be suspended or expelled or drop out. And the study goes on to say, and significant advantages persist after controlling for related factors like parent education level, family income and poverty status, Uh, parental involvement, and teacher or school quality. Rich or poor, this is a type of advantage which parents from all social classes could bestow upon their children, the privilege of growing up in a stable, married, two-parent family. Sometimes when we think about the standard that has been set forth for the family in the Bible, we might get discouraged. If you are a part of a broken or troubled family, family. You might even lose hope. I would say to you today that the standard is not the problem. Sin is ultimately the problem and the fact that we live in a sin-fallen world. And we need not get discouraged. We need to take a realistic look at the examples that we find in the Bible, a realistic look at our own family circumstance, and understand the grace and the mercy of God to take us in whatever family circumstance we're in and help us to be faithful to him and redeem the opportunities that he has given us. You understand that the challenge of broken families is not new. We cannot attribute our current problems to cultural shifts or uh, to a decline in faith in our society or a decline of morality. If you look in the Bible, broken homes appear very early on. In fact, Adam and Eve, the first husband and wife, tragically disobeyed God, and you know the consequences that came as a result of that. Their firstborn son murdered his own brother. Abram and Sarah were childless, so she gave to Abram Hagar, a concubine, to bear a child, which resulted in jealousy and all sorts of problems that followed. Lot was hesitant to leave the perversion of Sodom, and soon after he did, his own daughters seduced him to incest in his drunkenness. Jacob and Esau had one of the most bitter sibling rivalries that there's ever been, that's ever been recorded. Jacob's daughter Dinah was raped by Shechem, who wanted to marry her. Simeon and Levi, in turn, massacred all of the men in Shechem's town. Joseph's brothers conspired to sell him off into slavery after they had considered killing him. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered strange fire to the Lord and were killed in judgment. Eli had worthless sons, as did Samuel. 
David committed adultery and his family was pretty much a disaster after that. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, married a thousand women. And I'm just getting started with the examples in the scripture. So when we see the ideal that the Bible sets forth, the ideal stands. This is God's best. This is God's intent. But in light of this sin-fallen world that we live in and the brokenness that's all around us and even the brokenness that many of you have experienced in your own family and in your own home, we have to look to the message of God's grace and God's mercy that overflows to us that is extended to sinners who are in need of redemption. And we have to remind ourselves that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives broken people hope and messed up families hope and direction for the future. So I'm saying to you today that there is hope for you and your family, no matter what the circumstance you find yourself in is, or how troubled it seems at the moment, none of us are promised that we're going to have a trouble-free existence. Every family has issues because every family has sinners in the family. But the question is, what are we going to do in light of God's grace? Are we going to make the decision to turn to God in faith and honor him? That's the decision that you can make today. You can leave behind the baggage that you've carried to this point. You can heal from the hurt that you've experienced. You can make your way through the conflict that you might be in right at the moment. And you can look to the Lord because he'll give you hope for the future. And he'll help you if you'll be faithful to him. Now, Psalm 128 is one of 15 psalms called the Songs of Ascent or the Psalms of Ascent. They were commonly sung by the travelers on their way to Jerusalem as they would make their way to Jerusalem for the annual feast, uh, most likely Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish pilgrims would go to worship and they would receive the blessings of God and they would go in family units. And the psalm spells out the indispensable secret of living a fulfilled life committed to the Lord. And it's a reminder to us of how God has ordered the economy of family, how God has structured these matters so that we can honor him. The preacher of yesteryear, G. Campbell Morgan, said it is of real significance that these songs of home and of true civic consciousness are found among those which are sung on the way that leads to worship. It is ever good to carry into the place of communion with God the interest of home and city. It is only by doing so that we can influence these for their lasting good. Psalm 128, beginning in verse 1, if you will follow along with me. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, and will see your children's children. I want to share with you in these few moments that we have together, three directives for the blessed family. And the first is this, it is to fear God. 
Now, the key word here is reverence. To fear God means to have reverence. So the idea is that the family that will be blessed is the family who will fear God. That should be our heart's desire, how happy or how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord in verse 1. Now, the fear of the Lord is a dominant theme throughout the Bible. And to fear the Lord is to revere and to respect him. Listen to what these verses say in Proverbs. Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 14 and verse 26, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge. 14 and verse 27, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. And then 22 and verse 4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. The fear of God begins with knowing God. Now, a lot of times we fear the things that we don't know, right? We fear the unknown. We fear what life is going to bring in the future. We fear some circumstance that's pending that we know that we're going to have to deal with. We fear the unknown. But we also fear the known, And in the sense of fearing God, we are fearing what we do know. So when we know God, we have the fear of the Lord that comes from being aware of the fact that God is a holy, just, and almighty God who will hold us accountable for our lives. And there are a number of examples in the Bible when people encountered the glory of God and they were filled with the fear of the Lord. They recognized the power that he had in his presence and his overwhelming holiness and the consuming fire that is our God. One example would be the familiar one from the prophet Isaiah when he got a vision of the Lord in the temple. Isaiah 6 and verse 5, he said, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he did not fear God in that moment in the sense of being afraid of God. He feared God in that moment instead in a sense of a holy reverential fear of who God is. To recognize who he is when we come into his presence and when we know him. You remember when Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and the glory of the Lord overcame him. And Acts chapter 9 and verse 5 says, And he, being Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's a good question. When we come to know the Lord and we come into his presence and we encounter his glory, Lord, what would you have me to do? In fact, that might be a good question that you could ask for your family today. Lord, what would you have me to do for my family as I honor you and seek to revere you and fear you in all of my ways? John received the revelation and saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, and he was filled with the holy fear of God. Revelation 1 and verse 17, he said, and I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You see, he recognized and feared the Lord. But what about in the book of Ecclesiastes, when Solomon recorded his observations about life? You remember Solomon, he experienced everything that life could possibly have to offer, and then some. Though he had wisdom, he went off on his own pathway as well. And when he came down to the end of things, he said the conclusion of the whole matter 
is to fear the Lord. That, like, that's the summary of, of life with God. It's to fear him. And Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, there's a contrast here that I don't want you to miss. Because for the unbeliever, fear is fear of judgment and eternal separation from God. That's the reality for the person who doesn't come to God in faith. They should fear God in that sense. But for the believer, the fear of the Lord gives us so much respect for God and so much practical reverence for God that it shapes our faith. It shapes our devotion. It guides our lives because we're always thinking, will this honor the Lord? Will my actions, my priorities, my devotion, my focus, how I live my life, will this honor the Lord? And the only way that we can do that is if we fear him. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the allegory by C.S. Lewis, the story is told of two girls, Susan and Lucy, who are getting ready to meet Aslan the lion, who represents Christ in the story. Uh, Two talking animals, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, are preparing the children for their encounter. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, said Mrs. Beaver. And make no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then isn't he safe, said Lucy? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And that, in a sense, is our understanding of God and that we should have a healthy fear of him, but we know when we have a healthy fear of him that he is good, that he has our best interest in mind. He wants to bless us and to help us through this life that is so challenging. And we should desire to set our priorities in such a way that we would fear him and honor him in all that we do. First directive for a blessed family is to fear God, and the word is reverence. The second directive for a blessed family is to walk in the ways of God. And the word here is righteousness. And there is a connection. I'll explain it here in just a moment. But look again in verse 1. How happy is everyone or how blessed is everyone who walks in his ways. So there's an easy, straightforward, obvious connection here. That the fear of the Lord should result in walking in his ways. The flip side of that would be that people who are not walking in the ways of the Lord are demonstrating that they don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. They don't really care. They're not, they're not concerned about honoring God because they don't really fear him, so they're not concerned about walking in his ways. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So the only way that we can perfect holiness or complete holiness or, in a sense, live out the holiness that has been given to us in Christ is through the fear of the Lord. So when you grow in your fear of the Lord, 
you will grow in walking in his ways. This is why our devotional life is so important and we cannot neglect it because when we come before the Lord in his word and in prayer and we seek to know him, learn more about him, study his character, we're in awe of his glory, then all of these things lead us to a deeper understanding of our reverence for God but then of a practical living out of the righteousness of God. And the idea of walking with God points to union with God through salvation. So it points to the fact that we are to be connected with him through the righteousness of Jesus. So this is not a self-prescribed righteousness. This is not uh, stirring up our own righteousness so that we can somehow measure up to the holiness of God. But this is being connected to God in union with him through salvation. But not only is it being connected to him with union through salvation, it is communion with God, as I've already referenced, through prayer and the word. Simply walking with God in a very real, practical, consistent way. And then it's obedience to God in how you order your life. Paul wrote in Colossians 2 and verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. When you walk with God, you want to glorify God. In fact, A.W. Tozer said the goal of every Christian should be to live in a state of unbroken worship. That's why I so often say that, that life is worship. Life is not uh, something that we do and then we worship God when we have time. All of life is a, an all-encompassing focus on God's glory. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. So worship is life and life is worship. And of course, there are specific times like we're coming together for this morning to worship God corporately. But the desire that we have should be to live out that righteousness in him. Enoch is the first person in the Bible who's described as walking with God. I've always loved the story of Enoch in the Old Testament is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Let's refresh our memory about his example. And I want to draw a conclusion based on the outcome of some of his family as well that you might not have thought about. But in Genesis 5 and verse 22 and following, it says, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, that, that'd be nice. That, that's a good epitaph. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, it's unlikely that any of us will be translated into heaven uh, in that manner, but you do understand that when you walk with God and it's your time to leave this earth, the same commentary will be the reality, even though the specifics of how it comes about will be different, that God takes us and we'll be with him. And in the meantime, we're preparing ourselves for that meeting with God. Hebrews 11 and verse five and six gives a little bit more commentary on Enoch's life. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he, comes, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. 
So here's Enoch walking with God, and then all of a sudden he walks into heaven. And what are the characteristics of his life that we can learn from and also apply to our own families? Well, to walk with God requires that you have faith in God. You you have to believe that God is who he says he is. And I think that's one of the reasons why many families don't fear God and why many individuals don't fear God is because they, they might assent intellectually to the fact of who God is, but they're not truly recognizing and, and giving him the honor that is due him. You may say one thing, but if your life reflects another and you're not walking with God, then you don't really believe what you say. And you've got to believe that God is who he says he is in his word. And you have to understand that the only way that you can please God is by faith. Because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Are you living out your family life with an attitude of faith? Are you living and thinking and working within a worldview that sounds a whole lot like what the world has rather than what Christians should have? What's your first response when you encounter trouble in your family? Is it to bemoan the trouble, to think the worst, to go down that path of negativity that the sky is falling? Or is your first response to take it to the Lord, recognizing that whatever the outcome is, that if the Lord's in control, the Lord's going to get glory for it and he's going to bring good to our lives, even if it was not what we would have wanted or what we anticipated, God works out all things together for good to those who know him and are called according to his purposes. Is that your response? You see, that's how faith is demonstrated. Parents, what do your children see in you in a challenging time? Do they see a spirit of prayer and simple dependence on the Lord? Confidence that the Lord is going to work it out, that he's going to guide your family? You see, these are things where truth meets reality and how we live reflects what we really believe. And to walk in the ways of God, we should seek God's reward. You say, wait a minute, I, I thought this, this was grace and, and are you somehow saying there's a health and wealth mentality here? And I'd say to you, absolutely not. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. To please God, you have to believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God's word says that God will reward people and families who pursue him. Psalm 58 and verse 11 says, there's a reward for the righteous. Now, obviously, the greatest part of this reward is God himself. Jesus is the gospel. God is the gospel. He's the greatest reward of all. But in the midst of this, God blesses us richly as well. So we believe that he is who he says he is. We believe that he will reward us if we diligently seek him. And we set ourselves on a path where we put ourselves in the best possible position to be blessed by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's how God's economy works. And to walk in the ways of God in your family is also to set an example. Some of you know where, you're, where I'm going with this because you know your Bible. But the great-grandson of Enoch was Noah. Let that sink in just for a moment because Genesis 6 and verse 8 says, Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And let me ask you a question. What other families of that time had the same testimony of Noah 
who was leading his family? None. None of them. That's the answer. None of them. There, there was one man who was righteous and blameless in his generation and walked with God. And he was from the family line of Enoch who walked with God. So Enoch's example to his family showed up in the life of Noah. Now, obviously, this is not always an unbroken succession. You can walk with God and you can revere God and walk in the righteousness of God and your family member go off on a tangent. In fact, some of you today are maybe a little bit broken thinking about your own families because you, you've got the, the prodigal son somewhere, or the daughter that's wayward. You've got the grandchild that's not living and honoring the Lord, even though they were taught to, they were shown what to do, they knew what to do. And then let me tell you what it comes down to. People make decisions on their own, ultimately. We can show them the way. We can provide them for the, with the example. We can pray for them and teach them. But they can sometimes succumb to sin and fall into the ways of the world and do what they want to do rather than what God wants them to do. Just like we have the capacity to do that, all of our children have the capacity to do that and our grandchildren. But that does not excuse us from the responsibility of providing the example, showing them the way, praying for them, and asking the Lord to keep them from that wayward direction. To walk in the ways of God in your family is to proclaim the word of God also. Now we'll go a little further in Enoch's life here because Jude 14 and 15 references Enoch's teaching of the word of God as a preacher of uh, judgment in a time when false teachers uh, proliferated. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all the ungodly acts that have been done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Is the word of God central in your home? Let me just ask you a real practical question, parents. When was the last time your children or grandparents, when was the last time your grandchildren saw you open up the Bible and lead the family in a devotion, in a time of prayer. How can you expect your children or your grandchildren to know what it means to walk with God if they don't see that in your life? I say that not to discourage you. I say it to challenge you. Remember, I told you, you can't, you can't change the past. You, you can't go back and do that over. But what you can do for the future is you can provide an example of righteousness for those who are around you so they know that your faith is real and that your trust and your hope is in God. And he'll help you. So maybe there need to be some, some new examples that are set from this point forward in your home. And the Lord will help you if you ask him to help you and you'll go in that direction. And then the third directive for blessed family is to enjoy the blessings of God. The word here is reward. Reward. Now the word happy in verse 1 means blessed, and it may be translated as blessed depending on what Bible translation that you have. It's interesting that this word here is uh, translated in the plural. And I think what that denotes is a fullness of blessing, right? So it's not just 
a bless, an occasional blessing or a sporadic blessing. This is the, the fullness of blessing that comes uh, from the presence of God. So let me say this to you another way. People and families who fear God and who walk in his ways are happy. They're happy. They're blessed because they've come to know God and to fear God and live in a way that, that honors God. And there's an interesting connection in the scripture because the Bible uses the words happy and happiness around 30 times. And then the words joy and rejoice are used over 300 times. It's, it's a significant theme in the Bible. And the one thing that we know is people want to be happy. There's a New York Times uh, article that uh, was printed just last year entitled Yale's Most Popular Class Ever, Happiness. On January the 12th, a few days after registration opened at Yale for Psychology 157, Psychology and the Good Life, roughly 300 people had signed up. Within three days, the figure had more than doubled, and after three more days, 1,200 students, or nearly a fourth of Yale's undergraduates, were enrolled. The course tries to teach students how to lead a happier, more satisfying life in twice-weekly lectures, and the professor, Laurie Santos, said students want to change and to be happier themselves. Isn't that interesting? That, that the world, in a place of incredible intelligence from an academic standpoint, what they're clamoring after is, is happiness. And you understand that the things of the world cannot bring ultimate happiness. The things of the world can bring happiness because many of the things that God has given us are good. All good gifts come from God. So the gifts of the things around us are, are, are not to be spurned. They're to be enjoyed as long as they're not sinful. But the idea here is that, that God will bless us if we'll honor him. And sometimes happiness is presented as a, as a surface or a uh, sort of a temporary emotion based on circumstances while joy is more of a true contentment. And, and I would say to you, I, I've even said that myself many times, but the point being, if we're thinking about happiness the way the world sees it, then yeah, that would be, a, that would be a, an accurate delineation. But if we're seeing the connection between happiness and joy in the scripture, then that's not an accurate contrast. Happiness and joy are presented as virtually the same thing in the scriptures. Uh, Psalm 32 and verse 11 says, rejoice in the Lord and be happy, you who are godly. Psalm 92 and verse 4 says, you, O Lord, have made me happy by your work and I will sing for joy because of what you have done. So this idea of being blessed that we found, find here, not only in verse 1, but also in verses 4 and 5, is the goal of fulfillment. It's the goal of fulfillment in the home. It's the goal of fruitfulness in the marriage. It's the goal of faithfulness in the children. And it's the goal of flourishing in God's kingdom. And he tells us some specific things that he chooses to bless. First, he tells us that God blesses families who work. And he blesses fathers who take responsibility for their families. Notice again, verse 2, you will surely eat what your hands have worked for and things will go well for you. Now, don't miss the connection. I read Psalm 127 as I opened up the service today in, in uh, prayer and in the welcome. And the theme of Psalm 127 is picked up here in Psalm 128. And there's a rich symbolism that is found in this psalm. And it's the symbolism that is around the vine. The Old Testament presents uh, the Isra Israel as the vine of God. And it's uh, presented with joy throughout 
And the wife specifically is referred to as a fruitful vine. And a faithful, fruitful woman is going to be industrious and productive and be a blessing to her family. The children are referred to here like young olive trees. They're not yet mature trees, but they're little shoots that grow up around the mature olive tree. And they will someday replace the parent tree. And they too will bear fruit after the parent tree is gone. So there's a a, a picture of succession here of how God orders the family. He blesses how they order their lives. And then there is a blessing that follows by how they live for him that goes down even to the children and the grandchildren. Let me say a word about children here. Children need time to develop and to mature. They need a God-fearing home that provides the place for this. They need room to grow into who God has designed them to be. They need nurture and care and patience. And one of the best things that you can do for your children is to help them be who God has designed them to be. Don't fit them into some mold that you want them to be in. Don't fit them into some mold that the world wants them to be in. Don't make the success of the world the idols of their lives because if you do that, they're going to drift toward those things and then eventually they're going to run toward those things and they're going to try to find their happiness and their blessing and their satisfaction in those things rather than what God has to offer. So you've got to fight for that foundation in your family. You've got to provide that solid example for them to follow. You have to pray for them diligently. You have to encourage them and correct them when they need it. And then God will do what God does as we entrust them to him. It's ultimately how their faith response is to him on their own. But I can tell you this, if you don't provide the example, it's going to be much more difficult for them to find their way. And if you provide that example for them, then you can enjoy the blessings of God together. And let me make this statement. I'm going to close here pretty shortly. Prosperity and peace in spiritual matters is found only in the presence of God. Look again at verse 5 and 6. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and you will see your children's children. Peace be with Israel. So good from God for his people comes from Zion. That's the theme here. Much of the teaching and the ministry of Jesus was around or focused on Jerusalem. We are blessed from Zion. And of course, there's also the connection in the scripture of Zion, the heavenly city of God. But here we're reminded of the blessing that comes from Zion. You remember as these pilgrims were making their way to the temple to worship for these feasts, what were they doing? They were anticipating the coming of Messiah. They were anticipating the coming of Jesus, the Christ. And Jesus suffered and died for our sins at Jerusalem. We are blessed from Zion. The good news about Jesus was first preached and the church was born in Jerusalem. We are blessed from Zion. The second coming of Jesus will be to the Mount of Olives. We are blessed from Zion. So every blessing that we have comes from God because he's the father of lights. There's no shadow or turning in him. And he blesses us with good things, but he blesses us through his son. And our families can enjoy prosperity and peace in spiritual matters, which are what ultimately matters if we're in the presence of God. So I ask you this question. 
In closing, is your family a blessed family? I didn't ask you were you a perfect family so you wouldn't have to lie. I said, are you a blessed family? See, God brings blessing. Even and maybe especially in the midst of brokenness. And he redeems, he restores, he blesses, and he gets the glory for it. Let's bow our heads together just for a moment as we pray.